Welcome to the first episode of Observe, Explore, Expand. My name is Bridget Leary. This podcast is going to take a closer look at the tools that surround us on our path to oneness and enlightenment. We're going to journey into the mind-body-spirit connection and explore the many, many layers of yoga and Ayurveda. We'll observe the ever-changing perspectives through which we view our lives and our world. We'll investigate the powers of thought, words, and energy. We'll see the world through the perspectives and unique lenses of guest speakers, and we'll explore faith and fear and the fine art of embracing and loving ourselves. At the end of 2014, I began practicing yoga in a studio for the first time. Though I'd practiced yoga on my own, this was the first time I had any formal instruction. Before then, it was me in my basement with the DVD. The place where I was practicing yoga was a new studio that was in an old building. And it had mood lighting and really fun flowing music. And it was a hot studio. And I mean, the room was hot and it was humid. I was instantly addicted and I began taking five to seven classes a week. I felt calm and refreshed after my practice. I was in love with yoga and the endorphin rush that followed. I wasn't a huge fan of Shavasana, AKA final resting pose. Laying still at the end of my practice just seemed silly and kind of like a waste of time. I was there for a workout, not to lay on a floor like a corpse. I loved an intense physical practice. The hotter the room, the better. The harder I worked and the more I sweated and struggled, the better I felt afterwards. My yoga goal soon became crazy poses, trying to do as many intense yoga poses as I could. I had goals of standing on my head doing crazy arm balances, and twisting myself into a pretzel whenever possible. This was my initial understanding of yoga, an intense physical practice. Several months later, however, I started to lose my yoga high. My body was in near constant pain during my practice. I was developing injuries and encountering severe frustrations during my practice. I was no longer calmed by my physical practice. I no longer felt good during or after my yoga practice. I began to look for ways to get my yoga high back. I tried new classes, even the ones without music, which I never thought I would do at the time. I worked on focusing on my breath, which I never did even though they told me to. I tried to concentrate on my breathing, making it as deep, as intense as I could. I'd stare into the mirror and focus, focus, focus. 
I even tried Shavasana. At the end of the practice, instead of going through my mind what I was going to do as soon as I left the studio, I fought back the urge to think and to fidget and just tried to lay there. But nothing worked. I still fell short of what I was looking for. No yoga high. Around this time, I was asked if I wanted to participate in a 200-hour yoga teacher training. A yoga teacher training is where you go to become a certified yoga instructor. Well, my yoga outlook brightened immediately. This is what I needed. This is what would bring my yoga high back. My ego was fully pumped and my expectations were high. I dove in headfirst, completely oblivious to what my yoga studies had in store for me. Before we journey too far into the rabbit hole of me losing my yoga high, I think we should take a little journey back in time to see how yoga made its way into Western culture. It's hard to determine the exact time and origin of yoga because it's really quite old and there's no consensus on precisely when yoga began, but most estimates are at 3,500 to 5,000 years ago. So basically, yoga is ancient. It's literally ancient. Before the year 400 CE, Patanjali, who was a Hindu sage, collected oral traditions and composed the Yoga Sutras. Yoga Sutras are 196 Indian rules on the practice and theory of yoga. Quick little side note. It is debated whether or not Patanjali was the sole author or a collection of authors using the same name. Regardless, the importance of the Yoga Sutras stands. Before Patanjali, yoga was an oral tradition that was verbally passed on. The Yoga Sutras is the first effort to write down the practice and theory of yoga. In the late 1800s, Swami Vivekananda, who was an Indian monk, visited the West to promote Hindu spirituality and Indian philosophy. This is when the West started to learn about the philosophy and theory of yoga. It wasn't until the 1950s when the physical practice of yoga began to take root with the teaching of Krishnamacharya's students. Krishnamacharya was a yoga teacher, a practitioner of Ayurveda, and a scholar. And he's credited for developing vinyasa yoga, which is the most common type of physical yoga practiced in the West today. Now, Krishnamacharya never left India, but his students did, and they greatly influenced how yoga was practiced in the West by sharing the practices that they had learned from Krishnamacharya. Traditionally, yoga was not taught in a group class setting as we see it done today. Instead, each student worked with their teacher one-on-one -on -one and received a personalized practice from their teacher based on their individual needs and abilities. The practices Krishnamacharya students taught to the West were actually their own personalized practice. These and other personalized practices slowly became styles of yoga that were taught in a group format class. Modern culture has come to apply the word yoga to the physical practice of asana. 
asana, is the Sanskrit word for yoga pose. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, asana originally meant seated pose for meditation. Over time, though, the meaning of asana has grown to include all of the physical poses and practices. Now, you might be thinking, if asana originally meant seated position for meditation and not all of the crazy yoga poses that we have today, what in the heck was Patanjali writing about for 196 sutras? That, my friends, is an excellent question. Turns out, Patanjali was writing about how to achieve enlightenment or liberation, also known as moksha. This is where the eight limbs of yoga enter in. The eight limbs of yoga are the yamas, niyamas, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. The yamas are rules of moral code that we apply to the world. There are five of them. Ahimsa, which means nonviolence or do no harm. Satya, which means truthfulness. Asteya, which means non-stealing. Brahmacharya, which means non-excess or restraint. And the fifth one, Apringara, which is non-greed or non-possessiveness. The niyamas are the second limb of the eight limbs of yoga and their rules of personal behavior. They also have five rules. Saucha, which means purity. Santosha, which means contentment. Tapas, which means self-discipline. And Svadhyaya, which means spiritual studies or self-studies. And the fifth rule is Ishvara Pranidana, which is devotion or surrender to God. The third limb is asana, yoga postures. Pranayama, which is breathing techniques, is the fourth limb. The fifth limb is pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. Then we have dharana, which is concentration. The seventh limb is dhyana. It's an extension of the previous limb. It's meditation or prolonged concentration. And finally, the eighth limb, samadhi, merging with the divine or bliss. Asana is about mastering the body and obtaining stillness for meditation. It's about keeping the body fit and the mind calm. Yoga is not a physical practice. It is an all-encompassing practice of mind, body, and spirit that includes a physical practice. Yoga is not about working out. It's about going within. Asana is not about following a specific practice. It's about practicing what your body and your mind needs. Asana is preparation for Shavasana. Asana is a tool to reach enlightenment. Turns out Yoga is a lot more complex than I initially thought. Once you start picking at the thread of yoga, you can quickly end up with a ball of tangled up twine. This is exactly how I felt during my first teacher training. 
I went in to seek clarity and found myself more confused than ever. When I was first introduced to the eight limbs during my first yoga teacher training, I was very resistant. I didn't understand why I had to learn about them. I didn't understand why the philosophy of yoga was important. I just wanted to learn more physical yoga poses. I just wanted to learn how to get my yoga high back. That's all I wanted. I didn't want anything else. I can still remember how much I struggled trying to memorize the eight limbs. And I kept thinking to myself, it's a foreign language. How am I supposed to be living the eight limbs of yoga when I can't even pronounce them? (laughs) I was clearly very, very resistant. The universe can be very subtle in the lessons that it teaches. I didn't realize it at the time that the eight limbs were exactly what I needed. And I believe I knew that deeply in my subconscious and that is why I was resistant to them. It was going to make life more complicated. It was going to challenge me. Life was teaching me that I needed the eight limbs, that I needed to take a closer look at myself, the way I was living, and how I was interacting with the world around me. I needed ahimsa. I needed nonviolence, non-harm. I was harming myself. My yoga practice was hurting my physical body. I was pushing myself too hard physically in my life, in all of my, my adventures, at work, at play, lack of sleep, I was harming myself. I needed the, the other yamas and the niyamas to support my physical practice. I needed to take a look at all of the areas of my life where I was living recklessly or without restraint, demanding more than I needed. So many parts of my life needed a closer look. My yoga practice also needed direction. Now I'd had a taste of a yoga high, but I didn't know what bliss was. I didn't know what moksha was. I needed the tools of pranayama and pratyahara I needed meditation. Completing my yoga teacher training was not a completion at all. It was the beginning of my journey. By the time I finished my 200-hour yoga teacher training, I didn't really have much desire to teach. I subbed for a few classes, and then I took some time away from the physical practice of yoga. At the time, I thought I had stepped completely away from yoga, but it turns out I didn't. What actually happened was my brain took some time to digest what I had learned. And in taking a step back from my physical practice, I gave my body time to heal. When I made my way back to the physical practice of yoga, I had a new understanding of asana. I had a new understanding of yoga and asana 
in respect to the eight limbs. The goal of my yoga was no longer crazy poses. It was simply respecting what I needed on that day. When I began to teach others in the physical practice of yoga, I encouraged them to do the same. My class didn't revolve around intense physical poses. My practice focused on customizing the practice for each of my students, teaching them how to honor their body and to not worry about the practices of others and to just simply do what the body could do at that day to release the ego from the practice and to, of course, take a nice long shavasana. My yoga teacher training started to poke holes in my consciousness and new light started to stream in. I began to process thoughts differently. I began to see the world through my newly reshaped lens. My perspective had been tweaked and was changing. The lessons and the teachings started to filter through into all aspects of my life. And I finally began to practice yoga. Now, while I needed an intense physical yoga practice to start on my journey, that's not what everyone needs. An intense physical practice is what brought me through the yoga door. Once I got through that door, what I needed changed. I lacked discipline in my physical body and in my life. And the intense regimen of a physical practice initially brought me calm and it started to teach me discipline. Once those lessons started to move through my life, I didn't need the intensity of the physical practice. And I had to learn to let it go. I had to release my attachment to it. My practice became all-encompassing, mind, body, and spirit. I often hear people say that they're not flexible enough to do yoga or strong enough or they, they don't have enough balance. The physical practice of yoga is for everyone. And there is a practice out there for you. It doesn't have to be hot and sweaty and intense like my initial practice was. If you saw me practicing today, eh, you might be surprised at how subtle my practice can be. The practice of yoga is not about conforming to a group class or to a specific style of yoga. It is about finding the right practice for you in this moment. Finding a qualified teacher is a really important tool on your yoga journey. The right teacher is someone who will resonate with you, someone you feel comfortable with, someone who will challenge you while honoring your beliefs, what you need, how your body works, and where you're at today. 
It's about meeting the student where they're at and helping to support them on their journey, even if it means letting them go. I've had many students who have come to me and it turns out I'm not the teacher for them. So I try to help them find a teacher that's maybe better suited for them. I always say, if I happen to be a teacher that resonates with you, great, please come practice with me. But if I'm not, that's okay. There's a lot of teachers out there. It's all about finding the teacher and the practice that's right for you. Today, we began our journey into the podcast, Observe, Explore, Expand, by taking a closer look at the physical practice of yoga. Yoga has many layers and aspects, and we'll continue to explore all of those in future episodes. We'll also start to take a look at the ancient practices of Ayurveda and how those practices can fit into modern society. I'm so very excited for all of the upcoming episodes that I already have planned and those that are yet to develop as we continue down this path. So very grateful to have had this time with you and to have been able to share this space. Thank you so much. I have one little blessing for you before you leave. May you always have clarity of thought. May you always have clarity of speech. And may you always have clarity of action. Namaste. The podcast Observe, Explore, Expand is a product of the energy created at the Body and Soul 500-hour yoga teacher training. Many thanks to all of my fellow students and to the teachers for this beautiful program. I'd also like to thank Chad Cornell for technical and emotional support.